Are you looking for a chance to connect with other development professionals and learn the latest in fundraising best practices? If so, join us at the beautiful Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida for the 2022 Petrus Development Conference on June 13th through 15th. Connect with others from fundraising offices, both big and small, from dioceses, campus ministries, schools, parishes, apostolates, and more. Register today at PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. Register today and you could win a $150 resort spa gift card. Space is limited, so visit PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22 to reserve your spot today. Welcome to the Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Ren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So, Andrew, you ready to get started? Can't wait. All right. Welcome back to another Holy Donors Wrap Party, this time for Season 6 I really, uh, I tried to sync this rap party tonight, folks. Uh, I was really late into the the party. I was waylaid, but I think that's kind of appropriate because I was not able to sync this rap party, and that's apropos. This is unsinkable. Molly Brown. Excuse me. Margaret Brown. No, wait. Molly Brown. (laughs) No, Margaret. Anyway, you know her, and we've fallen in love with her thanks to the great research and the great discussion of her by our lovable crew of Andrew Robison. Hey, Thaddeus. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. You bet, man. Thanks for sticking around. Matt Bond. I'm here riding this way, ready to talk about Molly, Margaret, Margaret, Molly. Yep. Molly, Molly. And our lovable engineer and sound producer who makes us sound so good, Ren Hain. Hey, Thaddeus, glad to see your smiling face and glad you kicked me back off the podcast this season so I could just sit behind the board and listen to you guys do a better job. I'm still always going to call you Wally Pip, though. I hope you can appreciate that. That's a nice callback to the previous season. If you're not familiar with that term, go back and listen to the rap party for previous season, Babe Ruth, right? Isn't that where we discussed it? I think that's where it was first introduced. All right, so we're here tonight. We're uh, hanging out, talking about what we took away from our unsinkable season on Margaret Brown, trying to give you a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes sense of how we do things around here in Holy Donors. You can go to holydonors.com to learn more about our concept, holydonors.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Holy Donors. Right, Matt? That's right. Okay, cool. No great intellectual endeavor could ever be carried out, could ever be pulled off if it weren't for Werther's Originals. Am I right, gentlemen? (laughs) I can't think of a single one. I got some Werther's here, right here. Excellent. Excellent. So tonight we're going to give you a little behind the scenes look, maybe uh, inside the wrapper look at uh, snacks, the snacks that fuel what we call holy donors when we're together for recording and our planning sessions. So um, let's start with those Werther's originals. What's the story on the Werther's? So I think that we've talked about this, how we have done these recordings, but because Matt is in Oklahoma, Ren's in Michigan, and Thaddeus, you and I are in here in College Station, 
when we do a recording, we do a couple of seasons at one time, right? And so we'll come in and we'll be in the studio for, I mean, what, 13 hours a day for two or three yeah. days at a time. The cozy confines of the Red Sea Catholic <laughs> Radio Studios. Right. Plug, plug. Yes. yes, as we are grateful for, because they are fantastic to work in, nice climate controlled, and with a great view of St. Mary's Church going up. So I think that at, at one point for one of our recordings, I said, we're going to be in the studio for a long time. I'm just going to go and pick up a whole bunch of snacks. And I went and bought chocolate bars and Sour Patch Kids and Trail Mix and mm-hmm. had all this stuff and had a bag of Werther's Originals because I love them and they're tasty and they make my throat feel nice. And then after that season, I think, Ren, you had some words for me, right? I had some unpleasant words for all of you as I edited every other word you said with a click in the middle of it. Mm, yeah, that's a Werther's. So I think we have gotten a little bit better, though. We don't have as much hard candy necessarily and then make sure nobody's chewing or eating anything once the camera or once the the mics go live. Right. Last thing we wanted to to say on the snacks before we wrap up, two snacks made their entry into this most recent recording session that included our unsinkable season. And that was some wasabi peas and the crystal light. Uh, iced tea packets. I wasn't a part of that thing. I got I got sucked into the wasabi peas, and I was really grooving on those things. But I didn't do the I didn't do the crystal light tea or or whatever it was. So give us a rundown on that. Not everybody all at once. Okay. <laughs> so I I love wasabi peas. I get them in bulk at Bucky's, the gas station that is the greatest gas station of. Uh, of all time here in Texas. It's the, it's the national gas station of Texas, I think. There you go, exactly. Yes. So I think I had them. I didn't buy them specifically, and I brought them in. And I think, like you said, Thaddeus, everybody was really digging on the wasabi peas. They have just enough kind of kick to get your sinuses cleared, which I think is great for a you know an audio recording session. And, and they're just really tasty, right? Oh, I mean, I'd have my tail between my legs at about eight o'clock at night, and I'd take some wasabi peas, and it was just like, okay, I'm ready to go. I can do this. Yeah. I think, Matt, I tried to challenge you to see how many you could fit in your mouth at one time. I don't know if you ever. I, I think it made that. one. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, Matt, I did get you hooked pretty hard on the Crystal Light Peach Ice Tea Mix, right? I know. I think I mixed the last two gallons of it for us just because it was so good. <laughs> yes. I think actually you were the one that put me onto it. Now I get a 10-pack. <laughs> it's great. So basically it's Crystal Light, proud sponsor, Bucky's proud sponsor, <laughs> Holy Donors. Okay. Don't sleep on the Werther's, please. I can talk about Werther's original all day. All of our holy donors were connected to the organizations they support through great development officers. Do you want to learn to raise more money for your organization? Go to PetrusDevelopment.com slash education to learn about our free Petrus Academy offerings every month. See you there. Okay, well, let's get back to the real purpose of this wrap party. And that's to wrap up. What did we take away from unsinkable Margaret Brown? Where did we end up to understand where where we ended up? We've got to talk about where did we start? What did we know about Margaret Brown going into researching and producing this season? 
Ren, why don't we start with you? Uh, I knew very little about Margaret Brown. Uh, as we got into it and I realized that Kathy Bates played Margaret Brown in the Titanic movie, I remembered that character. I mean, but that was, I haven't seen the movie in probably 20, what is it, 25 years or so, whenever it came out. So that's really all I knew about Margaret Brown. Okay, how about Matt? Being the the lead on this episode or this season, I kind of feel like I, I drew the short stick because I had no, no clue. And I know all of us are going to say we didn't know who Molly Brown was, but I literally had no clue who Molly Brown was. And I, I remember something where I think it was you, Andrew, who said to me at the beginning, oh, yeah, she played she was played by somebody on, uh, you know, in the Titanic movie. And I was like, who's that? Like, I didn't even know the actress <laughs> who played. And uh, yeah, as I did the research, of course, I grew up vacationing close to Leadville. But other than that, I, I literally, when I say zero, absolutely positively zero about Molly Margaret Brown before we started. Okay, Andrew. So clearly then it was you who knew everything about Margaret Brown. <laughs> I guess, uh, I, well, I don't know how she even got into the mix if it's the, if this is what any of us knew about her. So I knew Kathy Bates played her in Titanic. So everything Kathy Bates taught me about Molly Brown is what I knew. I did not know she was Catholic. I did not know that she grew up poor. I did not know that she married a silver baron later and a gold baron later in life. And I did not know she was a boxer or rode a stationary horse for exercise. So all the things I knew about Molly Brown is actually what I did not know about her. Well, we didn't know a whole lot about Molly Brown going into this episode. I mean, Margaret Brown going into this episode. It's interesting that it's so, it's still very hard for me to call her Margaret Brown. I'm more inclined to, to refer to her as Molly Brown, even though we've learned that that was really a, a created really persona for her rather than who she really was. But what are our takeaways from this season on Margaret Brown? Ren? I was struck by just how much one person could accomplish, especially somebody coming from a poor background, right? She was a socialite and a donor. She helped build the juvenile court system in Colorado, which uh, that alone is pretty cool. Uh, she worked on women's suffrage. She ran for U.S. Senate twice. She supported survivors of World War One in France. She supported survivors of the Titanic, and she lived through the Titanic. She became known as the American Warbler, right, for her yodeling. <laughs> She did accomplish a lot of stuff. She was an actress uh, later in life, too. Pretty cool. Matt, what do you think? You know, she was the epitome of tie up your bootstraps and get stuff done. I mean, that, that was it. She didn't wait for somebody else to do it. If she saw something that needed to happen, she did it. And she got a reputation for that. You know, to me, that's, that's something that I, I strive to be. And I know I'm talking to the choir, to you three, because in our friendship over the years... I've realized that you guys all do that. You see something that needs to happen or you want to make a reality and you, you pick it up and you go just kind of like Molly Brown or Margaret Brown did. And I think, you know, one of my biggest takeaways is just she had this fire and desire to do great work and to make a difference. And I think that's something that everybody can take back in their life and copy if there were more Molly Browns or Margaret Browns in this world today. I think the, be the, the world would be a better place. And there are tons of them, but what if there were more of them? I think the world would definitely be a better place with more Margaret Browns around. I agree. And I think that she 
she does epitomize the example of that late 19th century, early 20th century woman who was finding new paths for the role of her sex in American society and who was, you know, kind of unwilling to stay in her lane as the, the phrase is used today. And I, I think that came through really, really, really well in the season. And you y'all brought that out really well. So Ren and Matt, I, I agree with you very much with what you said. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah. So I liked this season. Again, I didn't know much about Margaret Brown when we went in really anything, but I think that she has this kind of like down, but not out lifestyle that just sort of follows her. Right. So like we talked about her growing up in poverty and Hannibal Mo and, you know, and then moved up to Leadville and didn't really have a smooth start. You know, they dropped the the value of silver and they almost lost everything. And then they came back and were able to, JJ was able to find a new way to, to mine gold. And then clearly she was on the, the Titanic, which is in today's vernacular, just the phrase for a massive failure where everybody loses, right? And she came out of that. And not, not only did she... She come out of it, but she came out of it, you know, actively raising money to support the the survivors and then, you know, leverage that into something of a career and philanthropy and activism. And so anyways, I think that, you know, I was just struck by, I think, Matt, you pointed out in one of the episodes, she was being interviewed for a newspaper or something like that. And she was like, well, that's just us. We're the Browns. We're unsinkable. And, uh, you know, like that was her. I mean, she's this, you know, really was this unsinkable down but not out kind of person. And I think that that's, you know, a, a great message of hope for all of us that even when, you know, things look really dour and the outlook is nothing but icebergs and, uh, you know, freezing cold water, there's there's still this hope that's out there. And whether that's relying on our on our own um, strengths and, you know, abilities, uh, talents, or whether that's, you know, faith in God and, and his providence to get us through. I think that that's, that, that was my takeaway. I thought it was a really good message of hope. Well, beautiful. We always need messages of hope. Andrew, I, I can't agree with you more about that. Does your nonprofit organization need to raise more money? Work with the leading teach-to-fish consulting firm, Petrus Development. Check us out at PetrusDevelopment.com. I'm curious, as we're looking back and, and kind of drawing to a close here, the Molly Brown persona, that was something that was created. It was sort of invented, built up. Why was it felt that there was a need to create that persona and that story rather than, than just sticking with the facts of her real life. I mean, as we, I think, clearly displayed, her real life has has plenty of drama and plenty of messaging value, lots of uh, lessons that can be drawn from from her life. What do you all think about that? I'm just kind of kind of curious about about that. You know, I, I think it goes back to the time that that she was alive. I think Molly, Margaret. We, we we all keep going back and forth between her names. I think she was a, to use a phrase, a tough pill to swallow in the time. Yet the world was looking for ladies and, and young women to stand up and do what she was doing. But Margaret did it in such a way that it was hard for society to 
to agree with it or to to get behind. And so they had to turn her almost into a like a caricature almost, right? Yeah, a caricature of herself so that it was easier to digest. Mm, that's very insightful. Andrew Oren, other thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, part of it was, you know, how stories were told, right? In this time and age. And you had, you know, folks like uh, Wyatt Earp and you had Billy the Kid and you had a lot of like these really fantastic sort of Western characters throughout life. And I mean, even, you know, uh, John Rockefeller was, you know, built up into kind of this caricature of himself. So I don't know if maybe it's just the the nature of the times and storytelling and, you know, it, it's kind of a game of telephone, right? And there's no, there's no fact checking. There's an inter- no internet to go back and say it's confirmed or not. So, you know, the story gets told and then it gets relayed to somebody else and then it gets relayed to somebody else. And all of a sudden, you know, you have Molly Brown carrying Colt 45 pistols in every single bonnet that she might wear. Uh, and, it started off as, you know, this kind of trying to tell the story of her life, which, as we talked about, is pretty fantastic. And then it just gets blown out of proportion just because of the nature of the times. That'd be my guess. I think that's a good question, though, because I think you're right. I think if Margaret Brown was alive today, right, we would have a pretty different understanding of her life, in fact, in fiction. But at the time, we didn't really have that ability to fact check and say this is true. And the more glamorous it was, the more it sold I like your connection with uh, figures of the West, especially like Wyatt or like an Annie Oakley, maybe mm, yeah. somebody like that, a Buffalo Bill, that genre. There was that genre of dime novel storytelling that was, was very uh, outlandish and really played to kind of what people wanted to believe about what people were like on the frontier and what people were like who came from the Western part of the United States. And so maybe that was part of why she was kind of slotted into that, into that genre. That, that's a, that's an interesting observation. Well, we're kind of come down to the end of our time together. As you all know, from episode four, our next subject for Holy Donors is going to be T.H. Scanlon. As a Texan, I think that uh, uh, I'm really proud that we can highlight another fantastically generous and fantastically holy Texan. And I know Matt is super excited about that as well. I was well. going to ask, as an adopted Texan, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we've had an Oklahoman on here yet. Not, like, not even anybody even close to Oklahoma, I don't think. I don't know, I'm not sure if Oklahoma was a state back when T.H. Ganlin was around, though. So maybe... It was not. <laughs> no, it was, it was. Texas was just basically like the rest of the country, right? But it's yeah, it's going to be a, a rollicking romp through antebellum America, the Civil War, Reconstruction America, uh, the New South, the transition from the Old South to the New South, and just a fascinating story. Again, another figure who you probably have never heard of, but who had an enormous impact on the state and the nation. And then some some little interesting twist at the end about how the how he actually is or is not a holy donor. So we had a lot of fun at our rap party as usual. I Again, I tried to shut it down by not showing up, but uh, the boys were... Couldn't sink this ship, right? They wouldn't let me sink this ship. And so check back with holy donors regularly. Uh, find us on Instagram, Facebook, holydonors.com. We've got another episode, another season coming soon. 
and I just feel like all I can say is, um, uh, you can't wait. Here. Yes. You can't, can't you wait. can't wait. Okay. Can't wait. You can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, Third Top Productions. Graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, leave us a review, share us with your friends, and check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. Howdy, I'm Andrew, your friendly host of the award-winning Petrus Development Show, a podcast where I interview great development officers and ministry leaders about how they raise more money for their organization. Subscribe to the Petrus Development Show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And another little preview, yeah, tune in to hear some voice acting by Dr. Thaddeus Romanski in this season, too. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Let's not, push that too, let's not pump that too much. Let's not pump that too much. Okay. All right. Good. Hey, um, quick, quick aside here. In some research um, on the back end, I found out that her sister actually married a bronze baron. So between the two of them, they married gold baron, <laughs> silver baron, bronze baron. So weird. Huh. So weird. <laughs>